Hello, and thanks for joining us. We hope you are blessed, encouraged, and challenged by today's message. Welcome to the river. We're continuing our series, uh, Reset, looking for God to restore, to renew, and to lead us to his rest through this series. Man, I feel like God's really speaking to us, don't you? Don't you feel like we have connected with what God is really speaking in this season? And I think he's really helping us to reset ourselves, realign our priorities, to reestablish ourselves firmly in Christ Jesus. And so, of course, today's focus is the altar, and that's what we want to get to. Uh, He directed us last week to do a healing service, and we are following that. And uh, we just believe that um, we're in agreement with what God is trying to do in this season. I think there's a sense of expectation, amen, in this place today. So I want to preach finding healing this morning. In the context of rest, I would say this, that there is no real rest in sickness, in disease, in affliction, right? I mean, have you ever tried to sleep at a hospital? It doesn't work real, real well. Every 30 minutes, they're in there prodding you or asking you something. Um, God's rest affects all aspects of our being, every aspect of our being, the mind, the body, the soul, the spirit, all of that. His healing is rest. His healing is recovery. His healing is restoration. And so our series text found in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Right? Come to me with what? With it all, he says. Everything. Bring it to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, whatever your ailment is, whatever, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, relational, doesn't matter. God says, bring it to me. And I think that he's putting forth an invitation to every one of us in this place. That wherever you need healing, we can find healing in our faithful healer this morning. He is our healer. So help me pray as I preach finding healing today. Father, I thank you. For your anointing to speak, your anointing to hear the word of the Lord this morning, I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts and minds, that, God, you would help us to build our faith in this moment for what you are going to do in this place, what you are already doing in this place, God. We thank you that you are here with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take just a few moments, and I want to give us a few things to stack our faith on, some foundation to stack our faith on this morning. And I just encourage you to let what I'm sharing build your faith, to build your confidence, to build your expectation. We know the great saying that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. Amen. And so when we come with expectance hearts, that's really an engagement of our faith, isn't it? That's really a a tangible expression of our faith that allows the Holy Spirit to operate and work in our lives in a miraculous way. So let's look at Ephesians together, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. Let's pick it up at verse 9. It says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. If you underline in your Bible, I would underline that little portion right there, made known by the church. How does God make himself known in the earth? He is made known by the church. And then it says this, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. 
Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The first thing that I want you to see today, I want you to recognize his sovereignty. I want you to recognize his sovereignty. Because in his sovereignty rests his authority, it rests his wisdom and his design. I think there is confidence for us in this today, and and I think more than probably ever in history, that nothing happens beyond God's authority, beyond his wisdom, and beyond his design. That nothing is beyond his scope. He is sovereign and he controls all things. Now we know that the world stands in complete contradiction to the sovereignty and the will of God. It works to the contrary, doesn't it? It finds itself rooted in this rebellion and resulting is the consequences of that rebellion. And I think that here is the struggle for a lot of people and probably a lot of all of us at one time or another have have come to God in this way. You know, Pastor, I I belong to God. I'm His. I'm walking under His authority and plan for my life. I'm, I'm doing everything that I know to do. So how is it? that I get caught in the crosshairs of a fallen world. It's just not fair. I hear that, right? I feel that just like you do. And I wish that I could stand up here and I wish I could tell you the great answers to all of those questions. I wish that I could tell you how it is that we who are covered by His grace still sometimes fall victim to the curse of sin. Why is it that good Christians deal with bad situations? Amen. I think it's a great question. And honestly, I would love for, for, to be able to tell you the answer to that. But I think it's pointless for me to try to make sense of all of that. After all, we cannot say that we trust God's sovereignty and also understand all of His ways. You just can't. Right? I mean, faith has to accept just some unknowns in life. I mean, otherwise, it's just not faith, is it? And so, here's what I can tell you, without a doubt this morning. That His sovereignty, His will does not leave you behind. Never. He sees you. He sees you. I'm talking to you this morning. The individual person, one of you. He sees you. He he knows, He knows your need. And I can promise you this morning that God desires your good. And He is in this place to meet with you. Here's also something that I can tell you to help you. Let's look at verse 10 of chapter 3. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. In other words, that's saying God's wisdom is displayed by His church to the world. John Wesley says it like this. He says this about verse 10, that the church becomes the theater through which God displays His wisdom and power to the world. We look on verse 11. It says, according to the internal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore I ask you that you do not lose heart and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You are the display of God's glory to the world of darkness. 
God is going to use, God is using your affliction, your trouble, your difficulty to show hell and the world that he is still God. Amen. I think this is true too. That God is more concerned with his mission for humanity than our personal comfort. And he will use our affliction to showcase to the world his power and authority, his grace and his mercy. I got a dear friend. He's been here a few times. Some of you know him. Named Travis St. Amant. And he was born with cerebral palsy. He's lived with it all of his life. It's been a daily struggle for him to the point that he has lived many times throughout his life so frustrated and so aggravated because of his limitations. He turned 50 yesterday. And uh, we were talking, and uh, he asked me, he had sent me a text, actually, and he said, I have a question for you. He said, you know, if God's a healer, then why don't I get healed? He said, I believe, I believe God can heal me. I even believe that God wants to heal me, so why don't I get healed? And I said, you know, Travis, I wish I could give you a great answer, but I can't. But what I can tell you is that God's more concerned about his mission than your comfort. And I will tell you that even though you're not healed, and that's what we all want, it's what we're praying for, what we're believing for, that there is no doubt throughout your life that you have touched countless, countless people. He spends his summers going to camps for kids that have challenges and difficulties in their life, and he is an inspiration to so many people. Why doesn't he get healed? Maybe because God uses him in a greater capacity in his difficulty than God could ever use him in his completeness and wholeness. And so that may not comfort very many of us in the room today that are struggling with something. I mean, if you've got a cancer diagnosis that you just got, that's probably not the most comforting thing for you to hear today. But I am telling you that there comes a point in our lives where we just have to stop and we say, God, I trust that you are a good God. I trust that you are good to me. And I will just let you do what you will with my life if it brings glory to your kingdom. And so we come back to that point in his sovereignty. And we say, Ephesians 3.14, for this reason... For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. I submit to your authority. I submit to your plan, your will, your sovereignty, because I know it is for His glory, and my life is lived for His purpose. Talking about God's sovereignty. And I'm asking us if we can just trust in His sovereignty today. Can we trust His will can we trust his intent? Can we trust his purpose and his goodness for us? Because if we can, I believe this. I believe that if we can trust those things, that we are lining up for a miracle, and we are lining up for mission, and we might just be lining up for both. Amen? Amen. I believe this. I believe that there came a turning point in Job's life, and it was at the moment that we read about in Job 13 and 15. You see, Job started out just like the rest of us do. God, I don't understand. This isn't fair. I haven't done anything to deserve this. I've lived righteously before, before you. Even though my friends are accusing me of everything under the sun, I know that I've been living right, doing right, serving right, being right in every way that I possibly could. And I don't understand why I'm going through. So he started out just like everybody does. But in 
13.15, this is what he said. There was a shift for him here. He says this. He says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. And here's what that verse really means. It means this, that whatever happens, I'm going to trust in God. I know I'm his friend, and I know he's mine. And I know where I stand with him. I know where I stand with God. And I'm just saying to you this morning, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning where you stand with the Lord. It's very easy. He says, all who come to me, I will receive them as my own. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you are calling out for salvation, I will come and save you. And so we can know today where we stand with the Lord. And I just think this, that when Job finally decided to let go of self-justification and he rested in the goodness and the righteousness of God, the shift began to happen for him. Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again. When Job let go of self-justification, that's what that is, right? That's how we all start. We all start on that that self-righteous footing. God, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. I have lived faithfully for you. I have been doing what you asked me to do. I pray all the time. I do what you're asking me to do, Lord. When we let go of that and we say, not my will, but yours be done then the shift takes place in our lives and God can begin to do the work that he's always wanted to do. Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, for the reason that God is good and the reason that God is faithful and true, I'm going to bow my knee in submission and surrender to his will and to his ways. Look at verse 16 with me. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We see his sovereignty. Now the second thing I want you to see is I want you to see his love. This may be right here, this passage in Ephesians 3 may be one of the richest verses in all the Bible. And the fact of the matter is we could break this down and parse this out and and talk about it in a series because it's so rich. We see His sovereignty, and that's, that's fine and well, but we have to understand that it is ultimately and always grounded in His unfathomable love. And that's why, church, you can trust His sovereignty today if you know His love. You can can trust his sovereignty if you know his love and you know that he is good. I believe this. I believe if we truly knew and understood the love of God, we would never have another restless moment or another sleepless night. Look at verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. His love is proven over and over again by the evidence that exists in each and every one of our lives. First, we have the evidence that is presented by His Spirit. It proves His Spirit inside of me, proves that He loves me. It is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The second thing that we have inside of us is the hope and the faith that resides in our hearts. Something inside of each and every one of you starts to well up when you get in the presence of God. That's proof of His love in your life. Verse 17 says that you being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know the best way to know the love of God is to experience it. And he often allows, allows us to find ourselves in places where we are desperate we are desperate and desperately in need for the love of God. That I, I feel so desperate for His lavishing of love upon my life that when it comes in, when it comes rushing in, there is no doubt, there is absolutely no question that it is the love and the grace of God working in my life. God's desire for you is this. It's to take every broken beat up, bruised, hurt place in your life and bind it up with himself. You know, he doesn't restore your old. We're not coming to the altar today asking him to fix what's broken. We're asking him to replace what's broken. To completely renovate, to tear out what's messed up. And I just think that he doesn't restore your old, He replaces it with new. And the more broken we are, the more we are positioned to be replaced by Him. We become less and He becomes more. We look less like us and more like Him. Because it's His love that is filling every gap in our lives. Paul says to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. I think about Mary Magdalene. If you've seen this show, Chosen, I love the scene. It's a powerful scene. She's not even going by her name, Mary. She's so strung out on so many different things, and she is just abused and mistreated. Her life is a wreck. And the priests have come in. They've tried to deliver her to no avail. They, they get run off. Not good. But then Jesus spots her. Mm. And she's walking. And he's just walking behind her, not saying anything. And then slowly he just begins to call on her name, Mary of Magdala. And oh, man, in that moment, something breaks, something changes. And I'm just saying to you this morning, Jesus sees you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your name, and His goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life, and He is tracking you down this morning. And if you'll just give Him a pause, He'll work in your life in ways you never dreamed possible. Don't you doubt His love today. Don't you dare doubt His love today. Reject any thought or feeling to the contrary because His love is sure. My question to you is, why wouldn't God heal you? Why wouldn't God restore you? Why wouldn't God do the miraculous for you? Because He will. He, we can trust His love today. He desires to fill your life with all His fullness. Verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The last thing I want you to see, His sovereignty, His love, now see His power. 
to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. What power? He has all power, doesn't he? What authority does he operate by? All authority. He is able to do beyond what you or I could ever imagine or ask. And we say to him because of that, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, there is nothing in this room today that resides beyond the power and the scope of God. I said, do you believe that this morning? That there is nothing in this room today that resides beyond the power and the scope and the healing hand of God in this place. Nothing. No sickness, no ailment, no affliction. You don't have an issue or a problem that is bigger or greater than him. He can heal your cancer, your depression, your diabetes. He can take away your pain and your disappointment. He can break your addiction, heal your mind, destroy the stronghold in your life. His power, his power is exceedingly and abundantly enough for you in this place today. It's his sovereignty, his love, and his power. It's limitless. Now I want to give you the best news of all jump back up to verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel we see his power we see his sovereignty we see his love now I want you to see his invitation that the Gentiles that's you he's talking to you this morning not your neighbor not someone sitting beside you but he's talking to you it's individual it's personal And he says, should be. Not that he could be. Not that we hope hope to be, but should be. I think it speaks of intent, doesn't it? It speaks that there is a course that is set, a plan's been made. Now you're invited to walk in that plan. We should be what, Pastor? Partakers of his promise in Christ. And what I'm telling you this morning, that his sovereignty, his love, his power, Demonstrate to all of us that his promise is available to us today. That's what it shows us. That his healing is for you today. You believe that and you can receive that in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to accept his invitation. All you need to do is come. All you need to do is come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you. You rest. Stand with me across this room this morning.